On the Master Builders Elevate podcast today, we are joined by Graham Earl, Regional Director of Naylor Love. He's a veteran of the construction sector, and we chat about everything from the best advice he was given as an apprentice, through to understanding the commercial project awards and why the bears afterwards are just as important. We talk about the current trends in commercial, including BIM, defect free, and the importance of project diversity. This is a masterclass from a construction industry leader who has been there, done that. Graham Earl from Nada Love, welcome along to the Master Builders Podcast. Great to have you on the show. Thank you very much. Look forward to it. Yeah, let's, um, let's dive in. I'm just going to ask you a couple of uh, fast fact questions. Yeah. Are you a breakfast or a dinner guy? Uh, dinner. Yeah, why is that? Oh, I just like meat. <laughs> <laughs> good job good job and if the, you know the last supper if there was uh something you had to select for the last supper what would it include oh it'd have to be pork have to be definitely my favorite yep. nice nice yep. and tell me on holiday are we likely to find you bungee jumping or on a pool lounger um i'm more of a sort of a hotel sort of guy sort of doing the low-key um activities with my family and um Further afield we've been is probably Australia, I think, and um, we were supposed to go to um, America and uh, Canada this year, but yep, understandably that's been cancelled, so never mind. Yes, opportunity to uh, provide some good uh, income to the New Zealand economy by uh, keeping it local? Yeah, exactly. We went to Rotorua a couple of weeks ago and it was oh, fun. Oh, cool. Well yeah. Yeah. yeah, I did I did the reverse island uh, trip. We were down in Queenstown and Wanaka, and it was uh, yeah, certainly the businesses down there were excited to see some patrons back in back in town, which was great. Yeah, no, it was pumping. It was really really good. Okay, and when you're reading a book, Graham, are you normally uh, a Kindle electronic type person, or do you like the real thing? A magazine type person, so I like yeah. seeing something tangible. Yep. Right, right. Normally a magazine that's got some of your amazing big construction projects in it. Is that is that are those the, the best ones? <laughs> Traditionally, rugby or cars or something like that. A little bit okay. of building, but yeah, try and Okay. Is there, is there a project or hobby car in the garage? Oh, there is. Yeah. Yeah. Go on. A, Tell us a little bit. Car, but it's a it's a cool car. It's one of the last GT Falcons that came out. Obviously, um, so hopefully you'll appreciate in value as it gets older and older. So, yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh, good job. And routine wise, are you an early riser or a night owl? Uh, early riser. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what time do you normally hit the office? Oh, I'm usually at the office between seven and quarter past. So, okay. And usually you know, later to leave than some, but yeah, try and balance it a little bit. Okay, okay. And do you think that was habit built out of being a uh, building apprentice where, you know, you were, you were required to be on site probably somewhere around that, that time? Yeah, and I think that's what I like to get things done in the mornings and, you know, make a day a little bit easier for myself by sort of starting early when no one else is around. Yep. uninterrupted much, time. Yeah, very much the same when you're on the tools as well. You sort of, yeah. the more you can do before the subbies arrived, the, the quicker it was. And you know, then spend, once they arrived, most of the time dealing with them. So, yep. yeah, that was good. Good fun. Nice one. Nice one. And if you're watching a movie, Graham, would it be a thriller or a comedy? Um, thriller, action, that sort of thing. Um, they're probably my preference. Yeah, yeah, I do like comedies as well, of course. Yeah, yeah. good laugh every now and then goes uh, goes pretty well. And Graham, so you, you started yourself as an apprentice uh, builder. What attracted you to the industry to start with? Um, I think we've got a family of builders. Um, even though I come off a farm, sort of the choice was farming or going into a trade. And the good thing about the trade is you can take it with you wherever you go in the world. And I did use that to my own advantage for a wee while and travelled around Australia and bits and pieces. But again, it's just something tangible. I'm sort of more of a practical person than I am a, 
a theoretical person or an academic. Um, failed English at school, but, um, but got you know enough um, qualifications to get through to where I am today. So again, it's all practical. It's got to be tangible. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I think that's uh, that aspect of, of building is fantastic. And I'm a, a weekend project guy. My dad was a builder, so I've always had an appreciation. But even on on a weekend project, it's uh, pretty fulfilling to be able to stand back at the end of the a day's good hard uh, work and go, "Wow, I, I built that." Or that's uh, there's really something to show for the hard yards. Yeah, and I think even on the farm, you know, you're taking your time to just build stuff out there, and um, you know, play around with a bit of wood that might have been under the woolshed or otherwise, and create what you could. So. It was good fun, and there's always a practical need for builders, whether there's a downturn or otherwise. Um, it seems to be an industry that can maintain its own, and you can go and work for yourself as well if you want to. Yeah, of course. Yeah, lots of uh, lots of scope. And uh, what was is there a lesson that stands out for you? You know, probably some of those good old hardcore builders back in the day that you're working for as a as an apprentice. Was there any advice that stands out that you remember well, <laughs> or not so fondly? <laughs> I do remember a few things like, you know, even when I was coming through my apprenticeship and even early days of carpenter, the, the old site managers or foremen of the world, they didn't used to let you see the plans. So they give you a little picture or whatever and send you out to build what you needed to build without sharing the actual bigger picture. And I think the lesson learned is uh, if you know the bigger picture, it makes building that small part of it a lot easier as well. So we've always taken the philosophy right through my career of um, sharing as much information and involving other people right through from when I was a foreman leading hand right through to now and basically being construction manager or um, contracts manager. So mm -hmm. it's important that everyone knows what's going on across the board, not just a little snippet of it. Yeah, yeah. I think providing that context allows uh, people to make smart decisions, right? You know, yeah. when you've got a, got a sense of what the bigger bigger picture is, yeah, really good, uh, good approach. And Graham, you're now a regional director for Naylor Love. Um, it's responsible for the Canterbury region, is that correct? Canterbury and Nelson. Okay. And how long have you been with the Naylor Love business? I've been here since 2016. So right. in my current role since 2016 as well. And what attracted you to Naylor Love? Uh, I think the, um, the company values is a big part of it. You know, we're very much into integrity and family and, um, you know, keeping people close and treating people with respect. And I think for my personal values are very aligned to the native loves values. I think that's a big draw card to the role. Yeah. And uh, probably slightly off topic for uh, where we're headed in this podcast, but I'm very, very interested. How do, how do you as a senior leader inside native love, how do you try to uh, take those values that are important to you personally and important to the business? How do you try to um, embed them inside the organization and get the other people uh, aligned with those values? Well, you have to um, share the values. So at the end of the day, the people that work for you um, either have the values or not. And it's a difficult conversation sometimes, but if you're on the right seat on the bus or you're on the bus for a start, you know, you've got to share those. So it makes it very easy when I'm talking to people or engaging with people um, and they hold similar values. Um, you come across as one team. So, you know, for us, we're always mentioning in integrity. It's a big part of our business. Everyone, when they're dealing with disputes and uh, issues on site, the big issue thing is people just, you know, companies out there, individuals out there might deny that they ever have an issue. Well, the fact of the matter, we're in the building industry and there's always a dispute. There's always something to deal with. And it's how you deal with those. And it's really explaining to the younger members of our team and those even that have been within the business or in the industry for a long time that just relax, don't sweat the, the small stuff, 
but get on and actually develop the relationship with uh, people you work with and then that allows you to then have those difficult conversations and hopefully not get into that dispute yeah great advice and i think values are uh, really easy to live by when everything's going well uh, when things get more challenging it's when the rubber hits the road and and your values really get tested um, is there a, a example that comes to mind for you of when you know values have been been tested that you've had to go you know i've got decision a or decision b but really my compass here is the is the values and that's why i chose chose that one i think i always choose by value um, and I think that's, I'm not frightened to stand behind my values. I don't feel as though I have to compromise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think at the end of the day, you, you earn the respect of your industry or those you work with. And it's about saying and telling the truth at the end of the day. If you can fudge yourself through and convince someone that you're going to be finished on time and he knows darn well you're not, um, all you're doing is delaying when the argument's going to occur. It's going to happen at some point and it's going to be a hell of a harder, you know, six to eight months down the track when you're actually a month out from completing than it is basically eight or nine months earlier when you could actually, and the client could actually mitigate it in some way. So we do encourage people, and I do it myself, is to bring up the bad news as soon as you possibly can, share it, don't blame anybody, but ultimately always look for a solution. And yeah. that... I think is a big part of my values and certainly of the business's values. Mm, I like it. And on that, uh, bring it up early and, and have a discussion around it. I uh, received a good insight from another business leader who said he always chose to start those challenging conversations with, we have a problem. Yeah. You know, not, not you have a problem or I've got a problem or there's some kind of fault here. Or It always started with, we have a problem. And uh, yeah, started the inclusion right from the, from the get-go. And I think there's also some of the younger ones coming through. They get this um, sort of um, impression that they have to resolve everything themselves. The fact of the matter is they're only part of a team. And usually they are the youngest part of the team. They are less experienced or otherwise. They, you know, going ahead and fixing it yourself without asking for help is a failure. Whereas a strength is actually putting your hand up and asking for help and also sharing your problems to gauge other people's assistance. So we, again, encourage that as part of our um, structure. And it doesn't matter whether I work for nailers or whoever. Um, that's certainly my philosophy across everything. Oh, and I think that's a, a very strong one. And we're doing some work with master builders at the moment around mental wellness. And I think uh, the ability for people in an organization to put their hand up and go, you know, I need some help here. I'm not quite sure how to solve this. How can you help me help me out can really help with uh, some of those uh, alleviating some of those challenges that lead to, you know, more stress and potentially uh, more chronic mental mental health issues. Yeah, and I think the industry itself is changing as well. We're it used to be, you know, 20, 30 years ago, a very staunch male-dominated industry. Um, you didn't want to show any weakness, so you also came to work, and no one knew that you had a problem at home or or otherwise. Now, you know, breaking down our business, we have a fair percentage of female employees. Um, we have diversity across uh, most of our fields, whether it be QSs, project managers, even carpenters, and that is also allowing our whole workforce to actually engage better and be a bit more vulnerable, which is obviously a big part of it. And once you've become vulnerable, you're not actually frightened to talk to your mates and talk to your peers about things. And, you know, some of, a lot of my job is around dealing with people. It's not mm-hmm. so much dealing with the builders. I've got a lot of really good people that work for me, but mm-hmm. I've got to deal and actually look after my workers and my people that work for me. So, 
Yeah. Yep. Brilliant, and uh, it's a great uh, great way to be centred as a, a leader, so acknowledge you for that, Graham. It's excellent. Um, one of the things we did want to talk about today, Graham, was the Commercial Project Awards. Uh, it's something uh, that you have experienced both as uh, an entrant into the awards and also as a, as a judge. Um, you know, tell us what's the, what, what are some of the themes around those awards currently? Yeah, well, I think, you know, just to back up a bit, I've been involved with the Master Builder Awards way back from when they were actually held as a part of the um, House of the Year many, many years ago. So, you know, only a few years ago, it was separated out into its own uh, entity. Why why were they separated out? It was always felt like a poor cousin. Um, so you go to the House of Year event and then you'd have a little version of it and within there for commercial awards. Right. And I think it really needed to stand on its own. The industry was calling out for an opportunity and master builders did want to set up a separate. But, you know, it, it's taken a long time. You know, we started off with near on only about 30-odd entries in the first year, but it's actually growing and growing. And, um, you know, we've had a little bit of a decline this year, mainly around um, entry numbers. Project timing is a big part of that. Yes. But again, it's very, very popular. And I think, um, you know, the industry definitely wants to have its own awards. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to put something in place where people can be recognised, companies can be recognised for the work that they do. A house of the year type scenario works because the entity uses it for marketing and probably promotes their gold awards or their platinum or you know, their premium basically um, um, award that they get. However, in the commercial sector, we probably don't use it as much for marketing. It's all about celebration of the team and showing that we are a, you know, a team. Um, and to be fair, it's to celebrate those that are involved in the job because it's, it's a lot of hard work when you're delivering some of these commercial projects. And it doesn't matter whether it's a small project or a large project, the effort that goes in needs to be recognised. And this is an industry way of doing that. Yeah, I like that a lot. And is there typically some crossover, I assume, the, through um, architecture awards, there's some awards in commercial space, but more maybe from a design perspective, are, the, are these awards that we're talking about here more focused on the construction only more so than the design? That's part of it. The criteria that's within the actual awards judging is around the um, design, functionality, aesthetics, how it fits with the actual environment that it's working in, did it deliver on the actual um, client's objectives and their scope. Then it goes into how was it actually procured and how the team, being the consultants and the architect, including the builder, were actually engaged in how that actually worked, how the job was procured, whether it was tendered, negotiated, and then it goes into the delivery of the project, which is the quality, which is what the, the contractor has direct input into, which is how he's delivered the solution. Has he worked collaboratively? Has he um, utilised environmental practices, um, health and safety on that project? The overall quality of the project, uh, making sure that it's, in, you know, it's measured on the basis of what would be the expectation for that type of project. And then each project is measured from there. So it covers all aspects of it. Mm -hmm. And being, having been both an entrant and a judge, can you give us a couple of examples? What's a project that you were a part of as an entrant that you're proud of? Um, and then maybe one that stood out for you as a, as a judge? Yep, we've had um, a number of um, entries and it doesn't matter who I work for or who I've been involved with, but, you know, there's a couple of projects. We had the ITR, which is the Isaac Theatre Royal project, 
um, which is a full restoration and rebuild of an existing theatre here in Christchurch um, after the earthquake. And the backstory that goes with it is obviously a big part of the process. And, and it won uh, a national award. It deserved to win a national award. It took a lot of effort, a lot of fundraising, actually a lot of balls for someone to actually put their, you know, put it out there to actually get it rebuilt. Um, and I think that was, again, it just showed the collaborative nature of the industry because it wasn't tendered, it was negotiated. A lot of this consultants were brought on because of their association with the um, theatre. So that was probably a highlight, I think. Um, mm. I've had other highlights, you know, the Botanic Gardens um, Visitor Centre in um, Christchurch here. Very nice bit of architecture, Patterson Construct um, Architects. They've really designed something that fitted in there quite nicely and um, it deserved to be recognised. So, you know, there's a bit of a crossover, old, mm, new, yeah. um, even had uh, industrial buildings, you know, the main freight um, terminals here in Christchurch being involved with that. You had an office, but it was predominantly steel, crinkly tin sheds. But again, the effort that goes into it and how it actually works and operates and functions was really critical. And um, for me, it, it doesn't really matter what type of building it is. Um, it's all about celebrating the team and, and making sure that we, as our playing our bit, can actually drag the best out of the consultants and the clients and the, the final outcome, really. Right. Graham, for you, is there more personal satisfaction being involved in something that maybe has a backstory and is more connected to the community, like the Botanic Gardens or the theatre, versus uh, building a, a tin, tin shed? Uh, or, or are you connected mostly to the, you know, running a good process and getting a good outcome regardless of, of the why? I don't think you can not be connected to those that have a little bit more of a story. You know, you, you get involved and you get to work in some pretty cool locations and on some iconic projects. And at the moment, we're working on the cathedral in Christchurch. And that's a... Doesn't get much more iconic than that. No, it doesn't. And we do it not... We're going to make a shitload of money on it. But the team are so passionate about being involved in it. And that's when it rolls into basically a successful project. And that, for me, is success. I, I love building shit, you know, at the end of the day, getting stuff done and seeing what you've actually delivered um, right through, you know, I can drive past buildings that I was involved in as an apprentice and point them out to my kids. And yeah, they might say, yeah, sure, dad. But um, the fact of the matter is I'm proud of it. And you hear later on five or six years, they remember, oh, you built that. Wow. And all this, and there's some of the tangible ones, which don't actually mean a lot to me as far as um, importance. Uh, things like um, Rickerton Mall, you know, the Palms Mall down here. I built both of those, and while they're a, you know, they're a box structure technically, the fact is my kids get to use them, my friends get to use them, and they all utilise the spaces, and and that's cool. You know, retail cool. example. You know, on the day you finish, the day it opens, they all walk in. It's a hundred percent full, and there's no bigger buzz than doing that. Okay, so outside of the core delivering a project, what are the what are some of the things you see most often in the awards? The people that that win, that do well, that are prepared to enter. What are what are some of the things you're seeing that are important and and success there? I think at the moment it's becoming it's good because it's what we look for is collaboration. There's a very large alignment between those projects that are procured a certain way and the finish that they get and the relationship at the end. So we used to be a, an industry predominantly of tenders, hard money, 
everyone competes you know, four or five, six, seven tenderers for a project. You take the lowest price, you get onto the job. The, the builder's looking then to try and recover as much money as he possibly can because he's bit at a margin that he can't sustain. Um, it becomes an adversarial type um, delivery process, a lot of tension. Yes, you might get the odd relationship that works in there, but ideally it's being run by, we've got to make a bit more money here, guys. How are we going to do that? Um, the outcomes we see from that versus a project that was maybe done under a direct negotiation or an early contractor involvement, um, getting the right partner on board, um, sort of considering non-price attributes, so things like the quality, the team, uh, program, what experience they've had in the past, what their relationships have been on other projects, and the journey there, it's chalk and cheese. We're seeing it every time we go and judge these projects. So the ones that are standing out, the ones that are coming to the top, are that alternative procurement and the journey where everyone's basically worked collaboratively. And it's, it's as clear as mud, it really is, yeah. Mm. So if you could cast a uh, magic wand over the commercial sector in New Zealand, what would, you, what would you fundamentally change? Would it be the way projects are initiated and negotiated between the involved parties? Yeah, I'd like to see that. I think it's coming that way. You can see a lot more of that post-COVID. It's quite interesting. Conversations that probably two, three, four years ago, you wouldn't have even entertained from a client are now being um, the norm. And we're able to talk and builders are talking with clients. Clients are prepared to approach builders for their advice on which approach may be the best. Um, it's an interesting environment I think we're all entering into. And I hope that it sets the, the benchmark for moving forward post-COVID. Um, you know, there's a lot of work coming out at the moment, but there's also patches with uh, second and third tier builders I think are going to be a little bit under pressure. Developers versus um, large entities, there's definitely a difference there. Then there's in, within the developer market, there's those that are wealth, um, have a good balance sheet, and then there's the one-offs. And I think you'll find, and we're seeing it already, those with the large balance sheets and the corporates and uh, government are sort of heading off on this little trajectory, which is really quite an interesting scenario. You're getting competitive tension there, but you're actually setting the project up right. Um, it's, it's always going to be difficult when you've got a small developer that wants to build a one-off project. He doesn't really want to spend too much money. Um, it doesn't set the project up that well. Yep, and uh, a lot of common sense involved in the uh, approaches you've discussed there, Graham. Yeah, and I think also part of it too, you see it coming in because the construction accord is now having a bigger influence on um, clients and especially the government. They're really promoting the construction accord, which is promoting a better margin for builders, a better outcome, realising that builders have a lot of legacy or a lot of... Um, uh, responsibility post the completion of the project and it's no good for anybody if that builder's gone belly up so no. you've got to make sure that the builder makes money and the consultants get paid what they need to be paid for a good set of documents and then you've got a builder around for the next 10 15 mm. years to honor his agreement so yep, yep. starting with the basis that uh, everyone needs to win in this uh, process here not uh, one person trying to be the overall winner and bury the rest yep. good place to start from yeah 
Okay. And often we see uh, trends and technology and insights flow from our commercial construction sector down into our you know, residential or um, maybe light, light commercial. What are some of the things that you're observing or have observed in, in the larger commercial projects that you think will provide benefit into the residential and light commercial markets? Yeah, I think there's been a, um, a move to actually um, 3D using BIM on a lot more projects now. Let me just jump in. There may be some of our listeners that are not familiar with what BIM is. Could you give us a, a quick uh, description? Modeling. So what it does is rather than having a whole heap of 2D drawings, so flat paper drawings, you can actually integrate it into a model in three dimensions and you can coordinate your services, your architecture, your structure within that model. And then there's varying levels of it, which basically gets you through to uh, facilities um, management. And you can actually go in there at uh, LOC 500, which is a level, uh, and basically then commit and say that bit of kit, that bit of air conditioning unit has this make, this is when it was installed, this is how often it needs to be maintained. And if you need to do any maintenance on it, this is all the information about yeah, it. So, right. um, that's taking a little bit longer to take on some um, some legs, but getting it around the uh, 300, 350, ultimately that allows you to coordinate services within the structure, look at how they clash detection with regards to other elements of the build. Um, that is helpful in our commercial sector, and I think we're starting to see it a bit more coming into housing. Mainly the ones I've seen have been either where there's um, high architecture elements, so a highly architectural house, but I've also seen them in the cookie cutters where they're doing multiple, so they can mm -hmm. set the model up almost once and yes. it does thousands of houses. Mm -hmm. It does allow them to get their systems and their installations um, efficient yes. and basically hopefully leads to modular construction, uh, prefabrication, utilising services that are not physically on site, maybe using factories and delivering stuff to site. Yeah, like it. Good idea. And I know defect free is a, is a term that we hear around commercial projects. Uh, yeah. what's, the, what's the aspiration there? And again, how, what, what might be some of the learnings you could share? I think the big thing is we all try and leave site once. So ultimately, before we leave, we want to be absolutely, completely, 100% signed off. Projects have defects as you go through. Ultimately, there's going to be things that are left behind or not quite right when you finish a building. The big thing is to start that process of identifying what they are early in the process so that when you do leave site, i.e. practical completion or the day you hand over the keys, you've had time to address those things. I think what happens sometimes is people program their projects a little bit tight and say, this is the day we're going to hand over it, make no allowance for defecting, and they haven't started any earlier, so they wait till the architect comes on the day we're supposed to hand the building over. It gives them a 16-page um, essay on what's right and what's wrong, and you've got no time to fix it. So we need to encourage a lot of our members and builders in the industry to just take account of that within their programs so that when they are building, uh, making a, uh, a relative uh, allowance for defecting, which means defect-free when they leave site. That helps us when we judge as well, because at the end of the day, it's the tail that causes a lot of grief for, for commercial builders. Um, once the team leaves and goes somewhere else, it's harder to get them back. You can have a really good relationship with everyone up to that point, and if you don't service them post-completion, that hard work can disappear so quickly.
Yep, absolutely. Reputation hard to earn and very easy to lose. It is. Um, yeah, and if you can't respond in a timely fashion, as you're suggesting, that uh, reputation can disappear pretty quickly. With the uh, someone that might be thinking about entering the commercial project awards for the first time, they've been pondering it maybe for a couple of years, what would your advice be to them? I think um, the big issue that a lot of people think is out there it, is it's an award program for larger builders, uh, for those who build in the cities, uh, those larger operators like the Hawkins, the Fletchers, the, the Naylor Loves of this world, it couldn't be further from the truth. You know, this year we're judging things right from a woolshed right the way up to a multi-million dollar um, you know, restoration of an um, entertainment complex. Right. Now, they're all judged individually and there's no reason why each one of them can't score as well as each other. It's really heartening to see the number of entries coming from the regions as well. And again, some of those projects in the regions are not huge value, but they're scoring really, really well. So doesn't really matter what size project is, whether it is a wall shed, whether it is a small crinkly tin um, shed, if it's a multi-million dollar school or otherwise, there shouldn't be any, any impediments on actually entering. And I'd encourage the more the merrier. The bigger quantum of entries, obviously the harder work for us because we've got to, there's only four of us to go around judging all these things, but that's you know, that's not the problem. The big thing here is we want to see people celebrate, we want to see what the industry can provide. And I must admit, I think even over the last three years and even going back when I wasn't a judge, the quality of the builds and the, the delivery is, is lifting every year. So it is getting harder to get the top award because sure. the benchmark the actual mm. lifting and lifting and lifting mm. as well. So I think that's good for the industry and it's good for no matter who you are. Mm. And Graham, have you found someone as, a, as an entrant <clears throat> actually just going through the process of reviewing your project and trying to articulate what went well and what could have been improved was valuable from just an internal perspective? Yeah, it is. It's, it's actually really, really good to walk around with them. When we do the judging, we sort of start off with a bit of a talk on how the building you know, come about, we get a bit of a chronological order, how they did progress with the design. And then, you know, walking around for an hour or an hour and a half or whatever it is post that interview to look at what they've actually delivered. You know, the, the judges, you know, one being a builder, one being an architect, are providing free sort of feedback, you know, on what they see and how it works, asking questions. Um, you know, we ask you know, questions on how could you do this better or what would you do different next time yeah. and if nothing else we may in some cases be the first person to have asked that question because sometimes it, people get caught up on just delivering what they are traditionally engaged okay. to deliver okay. but um i think that's been rewarding for a lot of those builders um to hear that as well so yeah and we typically only know what we know so <clears throat> to be able to get insights from people that have uh, different experiences involvement with more more projects is only going to be a positive so we can share that knowledge yeah, and I get the same from looking at other people's projects as well. I get to see new technologies and hear about new technologies, which, again, that's transferred to other entrants when we actually go from place to place. And that's the knowledge sharing that we can all benefit from. Yeah, brilliant. Tell us about the awards night itself. Is, is everyone in their penguin suits? What happens? <laughs> yeah, traditionally it is. It's um, usually a pretty big night. As a company, um, we probably spend more money on sending people to this awards program than anything else because it's being in Auckland it's a uh, it's quite remote from our six regions but we have a big big night 
and great um, entertainment. It's nice celebrating with our peers, but then also after the actual awards, most of us who, it is a pretty small industry, we usually go out for a beer together, you know, yeah. and we you know, we share our war stories and have a bit of a laugh and there's a few people that don't quite get back to the hotel and um, end up hopping on a plane the next morning straight home. So it's enjoyable. And I think any opportunity to celebrate our industry should be taken up, especially after COVID. We need to be celebrating. Absolutely. And I think when you talked right at the beginning about the awards, you said, you know, the focus is on the achievement of what's what's been done. It's yes, of course, it's nice to get the gold award or the, the top award, but actually just as an industry to get together and celebrate what's being achieved is, is a fantastic thing to do. It is, definitely. What's your view of the, let's say, the coming three years for the commercial sector? It's going to be interesting. It's probably going to be a game of two halves. So COVID at the moment will have an impact on builders, I think, in another eight to 12 months. So projects were pretty much underway in most cases. Yes, there's been a few that have been shelved or or pushed out, but a lot of builders had work that continued on. What happens is the big issue is going to be replacement work. There's certain sectors out there, and we can even see it from the awards, the number of entries in certain sectors is growing. So the workload, I think, for the next two to three years in education, uh, health, um, is going to grow. Don't doubt that for a moment. There's a significant spend on both of those counts. Um, that's where the work is going to be. Um, but you then look at tourism and you look at the number of hotels that have been shelved, um, little entities, you know, even um, tourist destinations just not being built or supported. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. there's going to be a bit of a downturn there. I can't see too many airport works occurring. You know, Auckland have basically shelved theirs for the moment. Um, so it, it, it will impact our industry. It's those second and third tier builders that I think We'll find it more difficult, but you know, I'd like I'd like to see things continue at a relatively level playing field, um, opportunities for all. But the risk is that people start undercutting each other. Yeah. Then potentially quality drops, uh, relationships could be festering. Um, there's a real out, you know, potential fallout from that. Mm-hmm. Primarily, the government's doing the right thing. They're putting the right money out there. Hopefully that encourages people to get into that sort of sector and then the larger builders can probably take the lead and include some of the smaller operators within that work as well because you know the, a lot of those larger operators are construction managers. They need builders, they need support subcontractors. So hopefully they do support the local. Mm, absolutely. And I think there's a harsh reality of what's going on, but there's also an attitude about, about reality as well. And the more we can stay positive as an industry and stay connected, keep promoting good outcomes. Good positive talk tends to lead to good outcomes. If we, if we all talk negative, then uh, guarantee we'll deliver that negative world that we predict. Yeah, and I think also it's become more apparent. Everyone's talking about supporting local. So, you know, the more local entities that are actually involved in your project, none of us like seeing um, foreign companies coming into town and basically working in our regions, especially if there's other companies here that have been established for a long time and they can't or haven't got the work. Mm. The fact of the matter is the actual way that those projects are procured is what's necessitating those entities coming into town. So the larger organisations that are actually engaging with the industry and letting these projects need to let them at conditions of contract that actual local builders or JVs in situations 
can actually establish themselves and deliver. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we do have no choice but to have the the, the foreign um, entries mm. from uh, over there. So yeah, it's an interesting and very difficult situation. It is, and if we can keep that uh, sentiment of a team of five million working together to help each other and, and support, be a good place to be. Yeah, don't doubt that for a moment. Hey, Graham, thanks so much for uh, joining us on the uh, Master Builders podcast today. Uh, some really great insights, uh, not only to the industry at large, but also the Commercial Projects Awards. And uh, I'm sure we both encourage people to get out there, be, in, be involved. <clears throat> and uh, if even if you haven't entered, get yourself a uh, ticket, come along and uh, catch up with Graham and share some more stories. See ya, sounds good. Thanks for joining us, Graham. No problem, take care.